Greetings, and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. We're continuing our long-standing series in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, today is part 27. And we're going to look today at Yeshua's answer when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment of them all? So turn with me to Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 28, and have it in the overhead, Mark 12, 28. One of the Torah teachers came and heard them debating. Noticing that Yeshua had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, Yeshua answered, is this. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You're right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart and all your understanding and all your strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and all the sacrifices. When Yeshua saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. <laughs> now, the question the Torah teacher asked Yeshua when really boil it down, really comes down to the nature of morality and the moral life. Uh, and this is so relevant for us today uh, because there's never been a society, uh, there's never been a time when the issues of basic morality have been more uh, in, in tension and debate than in our society today. Now, over the centuries, there's been plenty of cultures in which people have argued over whether a particular thing was moral or not. But in every society in the past, these arguments have always been inside of a consensus view of generally what is moral, a consensus view of the moral life. So for example, these arguments were always, always happen within a Confucian culture, or, or Buddhist culture, or, or Hindu culture, or Protestant or Catholic culture, or Eastern Orthodox culture, or Muslim culture, or, or even a communist culture. But today, we have a situation that's unique in history. Today, our social institutions no longer give, give, give people a consensus view of the moral life at all. Today, there's no consensus that there even is a transcendent moral code. And therefore, we have more debates today about basic moral issues than any time ever in our society. Uh, any time, any, more than any other, other society in the history of the world has ever had. So it's very relevant for us to look today at what Yeshua says here. And it's really a radical message. And it has three parts. In verse 28, we have this question in which we learn the problem we all have. And then in verses 29 to 31, we have Yeshua outlines for us the life we all need. And then finally, in verses 33 and 34, when Yeshua dialogues with the teacher of the law, we see the journey we all need to take to get to the life we need. So number one, there's the problem we have. Uh, number two, the life we need. And three, the journey we must take to get there. So let's look first at the problem that we all have. Now, if you were here last week, uh, you knew what we looked at the answer Yeshua gave to the Sadducees. Uh, and that's actually the context of our passage today. So we read this in Mark 12, 28. 
one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Who's the them? That was Yeshua and the Sadducees. Uh, uh, and noticing Yeshua had given them, given the Sadducees a good answer, he asked him, which is the greatest commandment? Now, as we discussed last week, if you were here, the Sadducees were the liberals of their day. They did not believe in the afterlife or the supernatural. They didn't, they didn't believe in anything, anything beyond this life. And Yeshua, as we saw last week, did a brilliant job refuting them. So now this teacher of the law, he wants to dialogue with Yeshua. The legal scholars of that time were, particular, were primarily the Pharisees. And in the parallel passage, if you look over at Matthew 22, we're actually told that this Torah teacher was a Pharisee. So the Sadducees, they were the liberal relativists, and the Pharisees were the conservative moralists. And so this Torah teacher asked a question that actually was a hot-button issue of the day. The issue was, what was, what was the greatest of the commandments what was a hot-button, high, highly debated issue in that time. What, the Torah, what this Torah scholar is basically saying is this. We religious conservatives, we know we must obey God's law. Uh, if we're, if we're, we must obey his law if we're going to get his blessing, his acceptance, uh, his love. But we've discerned that there are at least 613 distinguishable laws in the Torah. Very comprehensive. Very burdensome at times. Who could possibly live up to that? Now I notice, Yeshua, in your debate with the Sadducees, you believe in heaven. Great, so do we. So let me ask you, in your opinion, what are the minimum requirements for getting into heaven? Surely, we don't need to perfectly obey all 613. Surely, some of the laws are more important than others. Surely, there are some basics that we must totally obey. So, so help us out here, Yeshua. We have to obey the law to get God's love and acceptance, but we need your help to whittle them down into a form that's doable, that's satisfiable, that's achievable, that's fulfillable. What are the chief laws we must obey? That, in essence, is what he's asking. He, he says, look, we're not relativists like the Sadducees. We believe there is a transcendent objective moral code that everybody must obey. But is the only alternative to relativism some kind of absolutism? So that we're, we're going to be ground to the dust if we don't if, you, if we make one little slip up, it, it's, uh, it's the only alternative, this impossible standard that no one can live up to. Are we to live in perpetual guilt uh, and condemnation and despair? So that's the question behind the question. And it was a huge rabbinical question of the day. And it actually reflects a larger universal human problem. And this universal human problem it's portrayed, actually, in one of my favorite movies. Uh, don't laugh. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. <laughs> in this movie, uh, there's this young aristocratic woman named Jen. And Jen is just chafing under all these rules that her aristocratic, upper-class environment has put her under. Rigid rules. And she hates them. She's about to be given in marriage to the son of some noble family. And it's all diplomatically and economically and socially and politically necessary. And she's chafing under this. And then she meets uh, Shulin. And Shulin is a woman of the warrior class. Uh, and they have this dialogue, and it goes like this on the overhead. Jen, it must be exciting to be a warrior, to be totally free. Uh, I've read about people like you uh, roaming wild, beating up anyone who gets in your way. 
Su Lin, well, writers wouldn't sell many books if they told you what it was really like. <laughs> Jen, but to be absolutely free, to live my own life, that's true happiness. Xu Lin, no, there are always rules. Fighters have to have rules too, or we wouldn't survive. Honor, trust, integrity. Without rules, we wouldn't survive long, and they're hard. Jen, but I wish I was like the heroes in all the books I read, uh, like you and, and, and Mubai. Xu Lin, let me tell you a story. I was engaged once. I was engaged to Meng. He was brother to, to Mubai by oath, but he was killed by the sword of our enemy. Afterward, Mubai and I, our feelings drew for each other. But how could we dishonor Meng's memory? So you see, there are always rules. You want my life, but the freedom you desire, I also desire. Very interesting dialogue. Zen saying, I hate rules. Rules, they keep me from getting the love that I want. Uh, I hate rules. I want to be free from rules. I want to write my own rules. I want to be like you, Shulin. And Shulin says, let me tell you what life is like. There are always rules. You can't get away from rules. You can't survive without rules. You want my life? The rules kept me from having the love I wanted as well. Rules of honor and integrity and friendship. So Shulin is saying, let me tell you what life is really like. We cannot live without rules. The things that you can is naive, but we can't live with rules either. Uh, they crush us, they keep us unhappy all of our lives, and that's life. So you can't live without rules, Shulin says. Uh, don't be so naive as to be a relativist, there has to be rules. Uh, but don't be so naive to think you can write your own rules. There are rules in life you have no control over. But on the other hand, to the rules-bound moralists, she also says, don't be so naive. Because when you obey rules, they can crush you. They can keep you from what you want. They're a burden. So you can't live with rules. You can't live without rules. And that's your life. And if you watch the rest of the movie, it turns out that Jen is also secretly a martial arts expert herself. But she's torn between this deep desire to have a master to have someone who can disciple her and make her really great. She's torn between that desire for a master uh, and her fear that any master would restrain her freedom. She wants a master, she hates a master. And her whole life is a tragedy because of this conflict. And the Bible says that's a pretty accurate picture of the human soul. The Bible explains what Shulin is seeing. Uh, because we're made in the image of God, and therefore we want a master. But because of the brokenness of our heart, uh, and the brokenness of people around us who oppress us, we're scared of a master. And we can't get out of this dilemma. Uh, relativism, we could just make up our own rules. That's naive. But the opposite extreme, rules-based legalism uh, and moralism, is also insufficient. Having to scrupulously follow all the rules that's what this Torah teacher is used to. He says to Yeshua, we know there's a divine law. We know we can't just write our own rules. Uh, and this movie, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, it depicts the tragedy of what happens when people think they can write their own rules. But on the other hand, we also see the problem with just submitting to comprehensive, detailed, outward rules. Moralistic, religious people say, we're going to live a good life. I'm going to live a decent life. 
But if you really understood everything that the rules require and how you really don't measure up, you're just always going to feel guilty uh, and condemned and oppressed. So we can't live with rules, we can't live without rules. So this Torah teacher, he comes to Yeshua for advice, and he says, in essence, maybe there's just a couple rules that we really need to obey. Yeshua, show me the most important ones on the overhead. So the question that he had, the Torah teacher asks reflects the problem we all have, number one. And then number two, Yeshua responds with the life we all need. Yeshua paints a picture of the kind of life we ought to be living. The question is, which is the most important commandment? And Yeshua gives his answer. And because what Yeshua says is so familiar to us, we easily pass right over it. It's like, for example, your family living next, all their life next to a train track, and a train goes by your house, they don't even hear it. And yet when Yeshua is done with his answer, look what it says, Mark 12, 34. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Everyone was petrified. They didn't hear his response and say, oh, isn't that sweet? You know, love. It's all about love. You know, that's what we matter, how we modern people read this passage. <laughs> uh, but is that what Yeshua's audience said? No. The first century audience must have been hearing something that we're not hearing. Because when, when he was done speaking, they were dumbfounded. They were shocked. Uh, they were petrified. They dared not ask him any more questions. So Yeshua starts off looking like he's going to give this simple, straightforward answer to the question. But what he ends up doing is to subvert the very premise of the religious persons who are asking the questions. He just blows through all their categories, all the, all the categories that, that we humans have for morality and the moral life. In this very familiar passage, what Yeshua actually does, and we'll put this on the overhead, he completely redefines, number one, the content of law-keeping, and number two, he completely redefines the motives for law-keeping. He completely redefines the content of the law, what the law is after, and he completely redefines the motive of law-keeping, why we should be doing it. What we should be doing, why we should be doing it. He completely redefines them away from the way traditionally religious people from all religions have always thought about the moral law. First, he redefines uh, the content uh, of the law. Uh, he didn't just simply choose one or two of the Ten Commandments. Uh, most of his first century listeners expected him to choose a couple of, of the Ten Commandments. But if he had done that, he would, he would have been playing right into the premise of, or the desire of the questioner. Because what the questioner was really trying to say is this, help us whittle it down. Help us make the law more doable. Tell us which parts of the law are the most important that we really have to keep. Now, if Yeshua had chosen one or two of the Ten Commandments, it would have made him either a liberal or a conservative, depending on which ones he chose. So, uh, and that's what most people, including us, if we're honest, that's what we do all the time. We pick and choose what we think are the most important commandments. So, for example, if Yeshua had chosen the Fifth Commandment, honor your father and mother, and the Seventh Commandment, uh, thou shalt not commit adultery, he would have been seen as a conservative. But if he had chosen the Eighth and Ninth Commandments, don't steal, don't bear false witness. And by the way, this Eighth Commandment about uh, stealing is, is in a lot, the larger context is about being generous. And the Ninth Commandment is not just about lying under oath, but about, uh, it's about not distorting the whole justice system. If he had chosen them as the most important, they would have seen him as a liberal. 
But he doesn't choose a couple of the commandments and say these are the most important ones. No. Instead, instead, he chooses two other places in Scripture, not in the Ten Commandments. He chooses Deuteronomy 6.5 on the overhead, uh, the Shema, the Vyahafta, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And Leviticus 19.18, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He chooses these two key verses, and he says, that's what the law is all about. Now, he's not saying just do these two and forget about all the rest, forget about all the other 611 commandments. No. <laughs> Indeed, you know, if you look at Matthew's version of this passage, in Matthew 22, he says this, Matthew 22, verse 40. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, Yeshua is not saying these two commandments are more important than the other 611 commandments. Nor is he saying just love. You know, love God, love your neighbor, and then you can forget about all the other rules. No, on the overhead. Instead, Yeshua is saying, until you understand that everything in the law, in the law, is all about love, and that love is only given definition by the law, until you understand this, you don't understand what the law is really after. When Yeshua says the entire law boils down to these two commandments of love, he's saying something radical on the overhead. First of all, he's saying that love defines what it means to live lawfully. Love is what the law is always after. Yeshua is saying every law boils down to basically being about love. So, for example, look at uh, the commandment in Exodus 20, verse 14. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Although it's stated in the negative form, the point of the commandment is in the positive. You are to be an absolutely loving spouse on the overhead. If you see... You see, if you begin to understand what Yeshua is saying here, you will realize you cannot fulfill this commandment merely by refraining from extramarital sex. Rather, the commandment is calling you to be a completely loving spouse. Because Yeshua explains all the laws hang on the commandment to love God and love your neighbor. That's the essence behind every other command. Here's another example. Exodus 20, verse 15, thou shalt not steal. Again, Yeshua tells us the point of every commandment, uh, even though it's put in the negative, is actually about love. Actually, the, the command, thou shalt not steal, can only be fulfilled if you are radically and joyfully generous to the people around you. Another example, Exodus 20, verse 16. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not lie. And the overhead. This means, in light of Yeshua's explanation of the law, is that you're supposed to live self-revealing lives with the people around you, not manipulating, not spinning. You cannot fulfill the command, thou shalt not bear false witness, merely by refraining from perjury. Likewise, you can't fulfill the law, thou shalt not steal, merely by refraining from embezzlement. You can't fulfill the law, thou shalt not commit adultery, simply by refraining from extramarital affairs. Because what these commandments are really talking to us about is love for your spouse, love for your neighbor. And therefore, Yeshua is saying, if you claim to be obeying the Torah, if you claim to, be, claim to be following God's laws, but you're a harsh person, or a bitter person, or a critical person, or an unforgiving person, or a stingy person, or a cold and unfriendly person, or an unapproachable person, you are not obeying God's law. Because you don't know what it's really after. 
The law is really after love. Love God, love your neighbor. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. So on the overhead, number one, love defines what it means to live lawfully. Uh, But number two, on the flip side, law defines what it means to live lovingly. You see, if all the law boils down to love, Yeshua is not just saying the law defines what it means uh, to live, that love defines what it means to live lawfully, uh, that love is what every single law is all about, and that uh, this exponentially increases the demand of every law, as we just saw by some of these examples, but it also means the law defines what it means to be loving. Now, we moderns like to say, the rules aren't really important. Just, let's just do the loving thing. That's what's important. But how do you know what the loving thing is? How do you know what the most beneficial thing is? For you older people, do you remember when you were 20? The things you thought were loving, you now realize many of them were utterly destructive to yourself and to others now that you're 40. What makes you think you're, that you're so smart now that you're 40? What makes you think your 60-year-old self is going to, th- what, what they're going to think about your 40-year-old self? <laughs> In other words, someone says, don't worry about obeying God's laws, just do the loving things. But when you disobey God's law, every time you lie, every time you steal, every time you commit adultery, every time you break any of God's laws, what you're really saying is, I know what's really loving and the, and the beneficial thing to do better than God does. But God created us. God created human society. People are complex. The heart is complex. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? You know very little about what makes people tick. And so when, you say, when, so when Yeshua says that all the law basically boils down to loving God and loving your neighbor, he's telling you why God wrote the law. God didn't write the law for busy work. God wrote the law to show you what the loving thing is to do, how to love. And therefore, love defines what it means to act lawfully. And the law defines what it means to act lovingly. Love is defined in terms of obeying the law. And only when you see that, you even begin to understand the content of the law. So you see the problem here. This Pharisee, he asked for help in riddling down God's law to make it more doable, but what has Yeshua just done with his answer? That giving the most positive possible view of the law, he's at the same time uh, giving us the most threatening and demanding understanding of the law that any teacher in the, history, in the history of the world has ever given. But that's not all. That's not all he does on the overhead. Because he also redefines not, not only the content of the law, he also redefines the motive for law-keeping. What comes first, what comes second, you know, in Yeshua's summary? What comes second is is neighbor love, acting lovingly and justly to your neighbor. On the overhead, what comes first? What does does neighbor love flow out of? It flows out of a heart filled with love for God. Yeshua says this in Mark 12, verse 30. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Now, what does this mean? You know, love has many different aspects, can mean many different things. For example, loving your enemy does not mean feeling the affection for him. To love your enemy might mean to forgive, to do the right thing, to refrain from vengeance. 
So what does Yeshua mean when he quotes Deuteronomy 6 to love God? Well, on the overhead, Yeshua explains that the only true motivation for, love, for, for law-keeping, for doing the things that God commands you to do with your fellow man, uh, the only real source for law-keeping is a heart that is head over heels in love with the Lord, in love with Yeshua. On the overhead, there has to be passion. There has to be delight. We're told to love the Lord with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. And what the Bible is doing here, it's using language that's only used for people who are passionately in love with each other. On the overhead. So here's what Yeshua is saying. You must not think that the law will be anything but oppressive and crushing, an oppressive crushing agent in your life unless the reason you keep it is because you already have a passionate, rapturous, rapturous love relationship with God. Do you see how this destroys both the liberal and the conservative approach to the law? The liberal approach to the law is relativistic. Uh, it's one that says you have to, you know, you have to, you don't, you, you can make up your own rules. Uh, who's to say what's really right and wrong? And we sure dealt with these people last week. So if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to get the message on, on our YouTube channel. But the Pharisee, the Torah teacher, questioning him this week, he's not taking that approach. He's not saying the law doesn't matter. Yeshua himself certainly is not saying the law doesn't matter. Indeed, Yeshua is giving us a heavier view of the law than anyone ever has rightly understood. But on the other hand, here's what he's saying to the conservatives. Do you remember the premise of the question? What was the premise? The premise of the question is, we know we have to get God's love and acceptance by keeping the law, so how do we do that? And Yeshua says that's the wrong question. If you ever try to get love by keeping the law, other people's love, God's love, self-love, self-esteem, by keeping the law, if you say, I'm going to keep the law so that God will love me, or so that I'll feel good about myself, or so that other people will respect me, Yeshua says the law will be a destructive force in your life. You have the same problem that people have always had. Uh, you, you need the rules, you can't keep the rules. You can't live without them, you can't live with them. You want a master, you're scared of a master. On the overhead, the, on, the only way the law becomes a force of health and wholeness, the only way the law becomes life-giving, the law becomes a life-giving force in your life uh, and the life of the people around you, is not when you obey it in order to get something, but only when you obey it in order to give. You've got to already have the self-esteem. You've got to already have the love relationship with God. And then you can do the things the law requires just for God's sake, just for truth's sake. Why should you tell the truth? The religious approach says, I've got to tell the truth or else God won't send me to heaven. That's fear. Or you better tell the truth so that you know that you're better than all those other people who don't tell the truth, those sinful, all those sinners. That's pride. On the overhead, the religious approach says we obey in order to get love from God. Uh, and it's a motivation that's based on either fear or pride. The reason you're honest is because you're scared of God's punishment or because you're proud of how, how moral you are and you're trying to get God's love uh, to, to avoid his wrath or you're trying to get other, other people's love so you feel good about yourself. 
But if the reason you're honest is due to fear and pride, which are the motivations uh, for obedience behind religiosity, then why do you still lie? Because of fear and pride. So the very same motives that promote obedience also promote disobedience. So these motives can never be sufficient to drive real, heartfelt, sincere, long-standing, biblical obedience on the overhead. Because what's going on in religion is that your fear or pride-based motives for obedience are actually nurturing the very seeds of evil in the, heart, in the heart of your devotion to God. In the heart of your, of your religiosity and your external religious rites and obedience, you're doing it all in an attempt to get God's love uh, and get other people's love. But if you obey like that, your motivation for obeying God's law, your motivation for telling the truth, for example, it's out of fear or pride, which are also the very same motivations for not obeying God's law. Fear and pride will ultimately lead you to oppress people, to manipulate people, to tell lies. You'll end up hurting people, and you won't even know why. And you'll say, what happened? Because if you obey God's law out of religiosity... Your outward obedience will hide who you really are, even from you. And, you will, and will eventually lead you to hurt others, whenever your fear and pride lead you in that direction. That's what inevitably happens when you obey for purposes of getting God's love, or getting love from God or from self or, or from others on the overhead. In contrast, the real motivation, the biblical motivation uh, for obedience must be to give love, to give love to God, to give love to others, out of a heart that's already filled with love, out of an overflow of a relationship with God that you already have. And that's what Yeshua is saying in this passage. Now that you begin to realize what we read in Mark 12, 34, and from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Yeshua is painting a picture here in which law and love are no longer at loggerheads, in which the divine rules do not crush you. He's painting a picture of, of, in which law and love work together in complete integration and harmony in your life. But for this to work, you've already got to know that God loves you. You've already got to have had an experience and a relationship of complete love and acceptance and rapture and passion and delight in the Lord for who he is. And then, out of that overflow, when you obey the law, it will bring health and healing in your life and in the lives of those around you. And the crowd is looking at Yeshua, and they're saying, what planet did you come from? <laughs> because this is not liberalism. It's not conservative, conservatism. And it's not halfway in between. This is not make up your own rules. And it's not legalistically, legalistically obsessed over the external minutia of the rules. Rather, this is a whole new way. Now, how many times have you and I just read over this passage, this all too familiar passage, and thought nothing of it? But when Yeshua's first century Jewish audience heard him say, it's all about love, it, com it, it comes from your love of God, it's all about love, what well, we say, uh, isn't that nice? 
But when they heard it, they were petrified. When they heard it, they, really, they heard what Yeshua says is really required. They got it. Do you? Now, on the overhead, lastly, number three. What's the journey we've got to take to get there? How do we get there? How do you get a love relationship like that to be the basis of your law keeping? When as far as we know, the only way to get a relationship with God was through law keeping. So how does it happen? Well, this Torah teacher who approaches Yeshua says something that shows that he's on the way. This law expert begins to get it. And he says something that, that brings from Yeshua a very positive response, where Yeshua basically says, you're on your way. Here's what the law expert says to Yeshua. Look at Mark 12, 32. Well said, teacher. You're right in saying God's one, and there's no other but him. And to love the Lord with all your heart and understanding and your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now, where does he get this last part from, this last reference uh, that, that loving God and loving your neighbor is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. By the way, the actual Greek doesn't say more important. It actually says exceeds. So, for example, in Matthew 5.20, Yeshua says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and the Torah teachers, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. It's the same Greek word used here in Mark 12. So here's what he's saying. The Torah teacher says to Yeshua, I suddenly see that the law, what the law requires exceeds all burnt offerings and all the sacrifices that I could ever make. Now, this is very interesting because the Pharisees taught that you can satisfy God. You try your hardest to live a good life. Occasionally, you'll, you'll fall down, but then you simply make a sacrifice or a burnt offering uh, for forgiveness. You bring a burnt offering or a sacrifice, and that closes the gap. So be obedient 90% of the time, as hard as you can. And the 10% where you fail, you cover over with a burnt offering or sacrifice. And you're in. And then this guy says, wait a minute. This Torah teacher says, I now see that will never work. Because what you're telling me, Yeshua, involves both the content and the motive of the law. And now I see I am so far from that. I am such a selfish person. I am so self-centered. I am such an unloving person, by your definition, Yeshua. All burnt offerings and all the sacrifices in the world will not cover my sins. I asked you to whittle down the requirements, and you've made them a thousand times harder. And I realize you're right. Obviously, this is how we should be living. Obviously, this is how we should be obeying. Obviously, this is how we should be relating to God. But there's no way. All the burnt offerings and sacrifices will never close this gap. I'm lost. And Yeshua says, now you're on your way. Your way to the kingdom. And there are two things we learn here. Look again, Mark 12, 34. Yeshua says, you're not far from God's kingdom. What does he mean? Two things. Number one, you've moved. You've moved. And the first step to getting out of being just a religious person, nurturing the latent seeds of evil within the very heart of your moral life, filled with fear and pride, filled with inferiority if you're not living up, or superiority if you think you are, 
the only way out of being an indifferent or an inferior or superior religious person and beginning to get a transformed life and to get that love relationship with the Lord from which all true law-keeping flows is you must admit you're lost. Yeshua says the only way to an unbelievably perfect self-esteem is to lose all self-esteem. <laughs> the only way to get a love beyond anything you ever dared hope for is to admit that you're less loving than you ever dared believe. In other words, the only way to this love is to start with repentance. Because only then do you finally see you cannot possibly satisfy God's law. So you must start with conviction and confession and repentance and the overhead. So when Yeshua says to this Torah teacher who sees this, you're not far from the kingdom of God, this means one, you're on your way through confession and repentance, and number two, you're not there yet. The liberals and the conservatives both think they're already there. They've arrived. The liberals glibly say, oh, God accepts and loves everybody unconditionally. And for them, morals are, are relativistic. That's not biblical. They were inventing their own God. And the conservatives say, God only takes into heaven those who are good. But that type of salvation by works is, is also not biblical, and it's also self-centered. Because the truth is, the religious traditionalists who say you can only get into heaven by obeying God, they really aren't obeying God. They're using God. They're doing things, uh, they're not doing things really out of love for the Lord, but out of fear and pride. They're not obeying the law, uh, which Yeshua says is all based on loving the Lord, so they're not really obeying the law. So they're not really doing anything for God. They're doing it for themselves. Religious people obey the law out of an empty heart, trying to fill it with blessings. But a true believer obeys the Lord out of a full heart, just wanting to overflow that love in delight of the Lord and our neighbor. And so both the liberal views of making up your own rules, and God accepts everybody, and the conservative view that God will let you in uh, only if you're good enough, uh, they're both too simple. But the gospel transcends both these views. Because the gospel says, number one, you've got to see you are a sinner. And number two, you've got to see there is an ultimate burnt offering and an ultimate sacrifice. And that all these other burnt offerings and sacrifice point to this one ultimate one. Remember, where did this, the whole dialogue happen? It happened in the temple courts the, the day after Yeshua cleansed the temple. And Yeshua was hinting at his final sacrifice to come later that week, which would make all, the, all other sin and guilt offerings obsolete. And the Jewish authorities, they come to him after he's, he's thrown out the money changers and the sellers of animals from the temple, and they say, who gave you the right to do this? And in this context, Yeshua speaks to this Torah teacher and tries to point out, number one, that only must he repent, but number two, you must see that there is only one who's going to offer the ultimate sacrifice. And that ultimate sacrifice on the cross is the one place where you can actually see this, this love life completely and utterly and brilliantly fulfilled. When Yeshua was on the cross, he cries out, Matthew 27, 46, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, do you realize that for every other human being in the history of the world, 
God says, if you obey me, I will bless you and I'll be with you. But to Yeshua on the cross, the father said, if you obey me, if you go to the cross, I will cause you to become a curse. I will pour out my wrath on you. I will forsake you. I will crush you. I will punish you for their sake, for our sake. And therefore, Yeshua was the one person when he was on the cross who in essence cried out, my God, my God, from hell. The father turned his back on him because he was taking on our our sins and our penalty on himself. And even though he was experiencing all the pain that you would experience in hell, nonetheless, Yeshua was saying, my God. He was in essence loving God even from hell. He never stopped perfectly loving the Lord with all his heart and all his soul and all his mind and all his strength. He was loving God not for anything that he was getting. He was loving God purely and perfectly just for who God was. So here we have the one time in all history where someone loved God for no benefit of any sort, no profit of any kind, but obeyed God just for God's sake, not for his own sake. And ultimately, he was doing it for us. So on the overhead. So here on the cross, we have the ultimate example of someone who loved the Lord with all his heart, all his soul, all his mind, all his strength, who who loved his neighbor as himself. Indeed, who loved his neighbor more than himself. And Yeshua says, when you see me doing that for you, you finally have a master who's safe. A master who died for you. You want a master. You're scared of a master. You need rules. You can't have rules. But Yeshua says, I am the one master. And if you submit to me, because I died for you, you will find that I can accept you despite all your imperfections. Thank you. And now, out of this love relationship, we have, purely by God's grace, because, because, uh, uh, because, because, he has per- because he is the one who's perfectly kept the Torah, perfectly kept the law, you now can have a new life. Yeshua you, you said, experienced uh, and empowered uh, by my spirit. Uh, and now you, you, now you can obey me, not out of fear, not out of pride, but out of love. On the overhead. The gospel is this. I am more wicked than I ever dared believe. But in Yeshua, I am more loved and accepted than I ever dared hope. The first half of the equation destroys your pride. The second half destroys your fear. So you no longer have to have a jury-rigged heart being honest and being moral out of fear and pride. No. But you now have a changed heart, changed by grace. So you now obey out of love. Amen. Let's stand and pray. Hallelujah. Let the music team to come on up. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, for revealing to us your two greatest commands. To love you, to love our neighbor. And now, Lord, we realize, maybe for the first time, these commandments, they're far more comprehensive, far more challenging than they seem at first blush. Because they go to our very heart motive. Uh, and our our attitudes. They go to the root of all of our sin problems. Thank you for showing us all your laws are ultimately about love. 
that all the law and the prophets hang on these two. Such that we're really not obeying the Ten Commandments, really by refraining from the negative, uh, refraining from adultery or theft or lying. But we must walk in the positive commandment behind them to be an absolutely loving spouse, or to be generous, to be honest and transparent. So if we claim to be following the Torah, but we are harsh or bitter or critical or judgmental or unforgiving or stingy or cold or unkind, we are not obeying the true essence of the law, which hangs on absolute love of God and love of our neighbor. And though man looks on the outside, Lord, we know you look on our heart. Yeshua, you look on the inner motives that are behind our outward actions. And you show us the true obedience flows out of a love, flows out of a heart that's filled with love for you, Lord. So help us, Lord, today to have our hearts overflow with love and passion and delight for you, Lord Yeshua. So we obey not out of fear, not out of pride, but simply as an overflow of the love we have for you, Yeshua, the only one who perfectly loved the Lord with all his heart and mind and soul and strength and loved his neighbor as himself. And we pray this in your name, Hashem Yeshua. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.